all things land development, planning and property. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. To find out how Ian can help you, visit propertyonfire.co.uk. Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's episode of Property on Fire. So what do we have coming up on today's episode? Well, as I promised last week, Ian's A to Z of property returns and it continues with amenity land. And yes, I'm afraid we're still on the letter A. A's just going to be around for a little while longer. As usual, I'll be answering your questions on Property on Fire. And this week, the questions come from Julie and from Chloe. So thank you, Julie, and thank you, Chloe. I shall have a quick dive into the Planning Geek website to let you know what is going on there. And I'm I'm sure, I'm sure the reason you've actually tuned in this week is to find out what is happening with British Gas. I know you're not interested in anything else. You're not interested in our development sites. You don't really want the questions. All you want to know is about British Gas. Is it all sorted? Well, what do you think? Stay tuned for that. So without further ado, let's get started. But before we do, please do like review and subscribe to this podcast and come with me on this property journey. To start this week I thought I would give you a quick update as to what is happening with one of my websites and that is Planning Geek. As you may be aware I started this particular website as around about four or five years ago now and it has taken off and I'm really encouraged by the number of visitors that we get daily and I always try and improve it. Up until now, the main part of Planning Geek has always been the General Permitted Development Order, or GPDO for short, and that is still continuing. I have now added a few more sections on it, and I've covered temporary land, and I've also covered caravanning camping. That's part five. And slowly I work my way towards part 20 which is already on there and of course that is airspace what it has allowed me to do over the last week or so is to ensure that all the pages on the website are fully up to date and that all the legislation is correct because legislation does alter on a very regular basis and it's very important with anything under permitted development that you are working to the correct rules There's little point in doing something or looking at a site and rules may have altered in the last year. And if you look at sites where the information is out of date, then you may well be going down the wrong route and you just need to make sure that what you have is correct. But anyway, I'm cracking on with that in the background. A part of the site that I am now starting to enhance are common projects. So a lot of the questions that I actually get here on Property on Fire are based around can I do A, can I do B? Now whatever A and B are, quite often they are based around the home. And so over the next few weeks I'll be writing a number of articles on those common projects. Often I will actually get a question that's posted to the Planning Geek Facebook group of which we now have well over 5,000 members. And one of those questions in the last week was based around windows and doors. Can you do it under permitted development? What rights do you have? And so I've covered that in one of the new articles. Now, another section which I have just introduced, or should I say enhanced, 
is the property news area. And for the first time, the site is actually open to comments. So each day, we hope to be able to post one or more articles. And these will be more property-based. These won't necessarily be planning-based. And so they will actually give a far wider reach. Just to give you an example, over the last couple of days, uh, I've covered the house pricing. According to Halifax, that is rising at its fastest annual pace since 2007 to reach a new high. Another news item that I've covered this week is generation rent. If you've got Airbnb or you've got service accommodation, well, they want the Chancellor Rishi Sunak to target you and to tax you. And what Generation Rent have said this week is that with the rise of Airbnbs, it is denying homes to people who need them. Are they correct? Are they wrong? Generation Rent would like the Chancellor to start taxing you if you've got an Airbnb or service accommodation. Maybe if you agree or disagree with that, you're welcome to go on to planninggeek.co.uk and enter your comments under that report. You'll need to register first, but that's a quick, simple and free process. And then you'll be able to comment your heart's content on any of our news items. And finally, for this week, I've covered a potential 300% council tax premium if you've got a second home in Wales. And this new legislation has actually been passed this week by the Welsh Government. What it does, it allows councils throughout Wales to have up to 300% council tax premium on any second homes. As part of that, they're also increasing local tax rules for holiday lets. If you want to find out more about that story and perhaps comment on it, head over to planninggeek.co.uk where you can do just that. Now, I'm quite sure by the time this episode actually goes out, there'll be more news on there as well. If you've got an article, if you would like to write for Planning Geek, then you're more than welcome to also get in touch. Just reach out, ask, and I'm sure soon we could have your article on Planning Geek. And yes, it will give you a lot of publicity if you can actually work with us on that. Right, the part you've all been waiting for. British Gas. I suppose it's better known as British Gasgate. Now I know you're not worried about amenity land. You're not really fussed about planning gig, are you? You just want to know what's happening with British Gas. Is it all sorted? Nah. No, 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 it's not. Nope, not at all. Emails continue to be received. Letters continue to be received. I mean, hardly a day goes by when my poor old postman doesn't actually bring me letters from British Gas. Hardly. Apart from Sunday. Yep, I don't get one on a Sunday. Apart from that, I'm getting them practically every other day. I mean, one of the common letters that I, and probably you are at home as well, you're receiving letters from your energy supplier telling you that in April, those costs are going to rise. Problem is, I'm still getting letters for flats that I've sold, that the accounts are closed. But British Gas, nope, bless them. They still want to send me letters about those flats. I don't own them. I don't want to know. Let the residents who live there, let them know. And it's not just a case of the database has only just been updated. These are flats that sold weeks ago. So there's no excuse. But I did get a bill this week. 
But it was wrong. It was wrong. It was about a year wrong. And they'd given the start date of when the meter was first put in, which was obviously when the builders were responsible. All the other accounts, ah, they're fine. We took them over. Trying to get rid of half of them, but we took them over. But this particular one, they've tried to bill me for about two years or over two years of electricity and standing charge and everything else. Now, this is despite me having a conversation with them and telling them as to when we actually took the particular flat over. Did they listen? Nah. It's far easier just to ignore what I say and just send the bill out anyway. So I think I've now sent 31 emails to British Gas to the various departments and these go sometimes to the customer relations or sometimes these go to the development side of British Gas. But I just need somebody to sort all these out because it is wearing thin. It really is. Oh, and I mentioned a couple of episodes ago about them trying to install a meter at my home address. Guess what? They tried again. I don't have British Gas here. I don't really want British Gas here, if I'm honest. There's no point coming here to fit a smart meter. It is not going to work between here and the supply down in South Devon. It ain't going to work, British Gas. Mind you, this week I actually got an email from one of the new residents who is still with British Gas and her smart meter's not working. So British Gas said, can you move the meter for me or for us? No, no, British Gas. The meter's not going to be moved just because you can't get the smart meter working for this resident. Why? It will work perfectly well wherever it is. Right, okay, before I lose it and more frustrated, we're going to move on. I'll wait to see what happens next week. See, see what letters I get or emails I get next week because I'm, I'm really looking forward to them. I really am. So don't forget to tune in next week for the next thrilling episode of British Gasgate. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. And now, Ian's A to Z of property. As I said at the top of the show, we are still on the letter A. It seems like an awful lot of things are named with words begin with A. And this week's no exception. And we're talking about amenity land. What is it? What can you do with it? Is it good? Is it bad? Well, stay tuned and we'll have a chat about it. Amenity land is land which is valued locally for its visual importance and contribution to the character of an area. But it may well also have other uses. It could be formal or informal recreation, environmental, cultural or historical and for wildlife and nature conservation value. In other words, it's spare land. Now, we have to go all the way back to the early 1960s. And back in, actually, I think it was 61, we had a report from Parker Morris. And as part of this report, it was recommended that new housing estates should have an amount of land that is left for the enjoyment of its residents and just to have some green space around these estates. And I guess things haven't altered that much since the early 1960s. And even today, and it's probably even more so today, on modern housing estates, 
you will see patches of land that is kept free and green. This may just be a small slither. It could well be a corner. It could be a corner where the road goes round, but the houses do not actually go around. And so you get like this, these triangle shapes and odd bits of grass around the area. Incidentally, the Park and Morris Committee, they were the first to actually, as far as I know, introduce space standards within the UK. I think a lot of people will be quite familiar with the minimum of 37 square metres as we have the space standards now. But in fact, ironically, the space standards in 1961 were actually smaller than they are now. For one person, one bedroom flat, instead of 37 as we have now, it was just over 30 square metres. But I guess in those days, they were more interested in heating systems and toilets. And as a result of those early space standards, it was actually a requirement that you had at least one flushing toilet and to have heating that will circulate the kitchen at 13 degrees Celsius and the living and dining areas at 18 degrees Celsius when the temperature outside was minus one. But I digress, so back to amenity land. Now I find quite often that it could be a developer, it could be the local authority, but quite often you will find small patches of amenity land come up for auction. And these pieces of land are often very cheap. They may only be, say, three or four thousand pounds. Not an awful lot of money at all. But what can you do with this land? Well, probably not an awful lot. Anything that you do do with this land is going to require full planning permission because it is going to be a change of use. I know what happens. These pieces of land come up for auction and the first thing people think of is, oh, I can build a house here. Well, it's highly unlikely to happen, I'm afraid. It really is. To start with, as I say, you will need full planning and the local authority will push back on it because this land has been used by an awful lot of people. Perhaps it's been used to walk their dogs. Perhaps it's been used just to enhance the area. Perhaps it's in front of other houses. It really is not going to be suitable for extra dwellings. That land was put in and placed there for housing estates and it was put there for a good reason, for the benefit of those people that live there. Quite often you may well find that the piece of land comes up for sale right next to your house. So can you buy it? Yeah, sure. No problems at all. You're more than welcome to buy it. But can you fence it? Well, this is where it becomes a little bit tricky. Maybe, maybe not. Personally, I probably wouldn't fence it because you are getting very grey area here between using it as amenity land and then using it as a private garden. And really, that is where it starts to become a change of use. Now, if you put something on that piece of land, if you fence it and then you perhaps put a garden shed on it or you grow some vegetables or you put the children's trampoline on it, I'm afraid then you are doing a change of use. And that is going to require planning permission. If you did do that and the local authority, the enforcement department came along, you are going to be forced to either remove that fence or go in for retrospective planning. Now, not all amenity land is useful. Some of them, it can literally be just a small strip of grass against a footpath, against the road. 
and it really really doesn't actually add an awful lot of amenity to that local area but even if you buy a house with a title that extends over that amenity land it doesn't mean to say that you can just go and fence it off and reuse that tomorrow just because it's under your title does not mean you have the rights to do whatever you like with that land. And I suppose a common example of that is there are an awful lot of properties within the UK where the title actually extends to the middle of the road. But that doesn't actually mean you can erect a fence to the middle of the road. I think the neighbours and the car drivers would soon object to that, as of course would the local authority. And it's the same with amenity land. Yes, I can understand it if it's a small strip by the side of your house. I can understand that. But just tread carefully because the chances are you are going to need planning permission. And I'm afraid it's amazing how fast some neighbours will actually phone up the local authority and actually complain, actually put a complaint in about that nice spanking new fence that you've just spent all that money putting up thinking that you're going to relax in your nice enlarged garden around your house. Now if you do need help on a property or you have a question about your own circumstances then you are more than welcome to book a Zoom call with me. You can do that via planninggeek.co.uk slash book and if you've got a piece of land that you're not sure whether you can do X, Y and Z with it or building then please feel free to get in touch and perhaps we could have a half hour or hour zoom call at your convenience to actually discuss the opportunity that may be there for you on to this week's questions and as i said at the top of the show i'm grateful for dewey and chloe for sending them in this week and if you've got a question feel free to email the show at ian at propertyonfire.co.uk and perhaps next week, I'll be answering your question. Right, the first question this week is from Julie. And thanks, thanks Julie, again for your question. She asks, in which order should I be converting a shop and uppers? Okay, now, first of all, for anyone listening, if you're not sure what shop and uppers means, let me explain. This is typically where you have a shop on the ground floor and above it you have some space now that space may well be offices or it may well be storage or something like that but the important thing is that in order to do a conversion under this it will need to be ancillary so julie the first thing that you are going to need to check is to make sure that upstairs is ancillary to downstairs was it actually used by the business? I don't know if the business is still running or whether it's been shut for a while. Uh, your email, unfortunately, doesn't say. But whatever it is, you'll need to do a little bit of due diligence to find out. One fairly easy tip that I do say to people, and I've said it before on Property on Fire, and I'll repeat it again, and that is to use Google Street View. And in the top left of Google Street View, you can go back in time. All you do is you click on where it says Street View and there's a little clock to the left of that and you'll have a month and a year and that will be the last Street View image that Google captured on that particular road. And you can go back and I think the earliest dates are probably round about sort of 2006 to 2009. So you can go back in time to see what that shop was and if there was perhaps any lettering upstairs to indicate the fact it was all one unit. 
But once you've established, Julie, that it was one unit and upstairs is ancillary, the order that you need to do it is as follows. First off, you'll need to convert upstairs into up to two flats under class G. Now, until last year, you were able to just go ahead and do that. But unfortunately, now you are going to need what's called a prior approval. And that is a 56-day application to the local authority. And the cost of that is £100 per dwelling. And once you've submitted that, the council has 56 days to come back to you and say yay or nay as to whether or not you can convert upstairs to either one or two flats. Now, one of the reasons why you'll need to do upstairs first is because one of the conditions on Class G is the fact that it is as above a use Class E use. So that's shops, offices, cafes, restaurants, etc. And that's downstairs. Now, obviously, if you convert downstairs first to residential, you're not going to be able to convert upstairs. So it is important that you do upstairs first. Now, once you've done that, Julie, you can actually then apply to convert downstairs. And that is done under class MA. Yep, you can do up to 1,500 square metres, which should be ample for a shop and uppers. You can do it in that order. Now, of course, like anything, it's not quite as simple as putting the application in. And a week later, the council will come back and say, yeah, fine, no problems, Julie, go ahead. You can go ahead and do it. Um, unfortunately, the there are a few tick box exercises that you'll need to go through. And I guess one of the most important things these days is natural light to all habitable rooms. And by that, Julie, we mean bedrooms, lounges, but not dedicated kitchen. So if you've got a kitchen that is enclosed and that is not used for dining or as a lounge, then that does not need natural light. But all habitable rooms do. So you'll need to bear that in mind when you come to look at the shopping question and to work out, have you got rear windows, for example, because you may well need rear windows in order to get natural light to the back of the building. But if you want to find out more about Class MA, for example, if you go to my website, then you can find all the information there. And a quick link for you is planetgeek.co.uk slash Class MA. So I hope that answers your question, Julie. But if you need more assistance on that particular shop and upwards, then please do get in touch. Right, the second email this week is from Chloe. So thanks, Chloe. And you've got a bit of a problem, Chloe. You are a landlord and you have a property which a tenant has just left. The tenant gave you notice and moved out. But unfortunately, the tenant has decided to leave a whole load of furniture behind. Now, unfortunately, this happens more often than not, and it is a bit of a pain for the landlord. Now, this can also happen with HMO rooms, and both are a very common occurrence, I'm afraid. The problem that exists for you, Chloe, is that legally, these goods still belong to the tenant. And so you have to be a little bit careful and you have to follow a procedure. Now, fortunately, you do have an Act of Parliament that is actually to your benefit. And that is called the Torts Act from 1977. Now, we all know in reality that the tenant is unlikely to come back for their furniture. 
Perhaps they just couldn't be bothered to actually move it and they decided to abandon it. But as I said earlier, legally it still belongs to them. So, so you need to tread carefully here. I ought to add that I'm not a solicitor. If in doubt, always take legal advice on these matters. But this is the act as far as I understand it. Now, what you're going to need to do, Chloe, is to write a letter to the tenant informing them as to A, which items have been left behind, where you are going to store those goods as you consider those to be abandoned. And those goods will be stored at the tenant's cost for a period of 14 days. Chloe, after those 14 days, you are legally then allowed to dispose of those items as long as you have followed the Torts Act and actually written to or attempted to write to the owner of those goods. If those goods are of value and you decide to sell them, then you are allowed to deduct from that that money that you get the cost of storing it for that period of time and any other expenses that you incurred. Any surplus money that you have after deducting those costs then that money actually belongs to the tenant and you will need to return that money to the tenant. I also recommend attaching a copy of that letter to the goods in question and taking a photograph of the letter attached to the goods so that should they turn up, they may still have a key, I don't know, but should they turn up in that place, then they will see that letter there and that will give them notice that those goods are being stored as well. So I hope that helps, Chloe. The law is on your side, but you do need to follow the exact procedure to avoid getting into trouble. Whatever you do, just don't toss them into the skip tomorrow. Okay, I hope that was of help to folks. We've got to the end of another episode of Property on Fire. So thanks very much for joining me this week. And if I can help you in your property journey in 2022, then do please get in touch. As I say every week, keep safe and we'll chat again next week. Have a wonderful week. Bye for now. Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. Please use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe to the show. And if you'd like a question answered on a future episode, email ian at propertyonfire.co.uk.